once again to the Interjections podcast, a new series that we've dubbed the Undiscovered Decade, uh, because we, as a foursome, are looking at the hidden gems of the 1990s, and we're still in the first year. We're finally at November, so we're nearing the end of the first years of the project, trying to see how this whole thing is going to play out. And uh, I thought I'd, uh, I wanted to take a chance to highlight. Uh, Disney a little bit and this was the decade of the Disney Renaissance and one of the most undersung films of their entire oeuvre is The Rescuers Down Under uh, which as you can see has been uh, floating behind Jeff Uh, he's there with the cast right now Uh, they're kind of not they're not going to talk for us but (laughs) they took a vow of silence yeah yeah yeah. it's just um so this was the second film in the so-called Renaissance. The 80s had been kind of uh, uh, almost a death knell for the studio. They actually almost shuttered their entire studio around the, the time The Black Cauldron came out in 1985. And there was a whole series of events that leading up to that um, after Walt Disney passed away a, a while before that. So, so they were they were losing animators left and right to other studios. There were there were people like Don Bluth forming their own studios, trying to recapture that magic. Um, they were cutting corners on budgets, and they weren't really putting out a lot of good uh, stories too. But the one thing that had succeeded in the twenty years since his death was the original Rescuers film back in nineteen seventy seven, and they thought about for the first time making a direct sequel that would be theatrical. Uh, we, we know them pretty well as having in the 90s done a lot of straight to video releases like Return to Jafar and uh, Cinderella 3 or Wrinkle in Time, you know. Um, but this one was a much bigger undertaking. And as we were talking about right before we started, this was the first 100% digital release of any film anywhere so if anything uh of all the films in the disney renaissance this might be one of the most important so we figured we'd talk about it uh in order it was the little mermaid really brought disney back to the forefront and everyone was really excited about what would come next and then this fell hard but luckily they had aladdin and the lion king and hunchback of notre dame and pocahontas as the next four so that's why this got lost to time because it was kind of overshadowed by everything around it. But uh, I've been talking a lot about the history, but I can I can bring in little details more. I don't know. How did you guys uh, feel about this? Had you ever seen this before? I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, so it was refreshing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same. Yeah, I, I probably seen it twice maybe but i don't know if i've actually seen the original rescuers all the way through i've seen it once like 20 years ago so yeah so i think that was another reason why this didn't do so well because uh the first one's not that fondly remembered so to have a belated sequel 13 years later to a property that wasn't um that profitable to begin with yeah and i think like a sequel that late like you couldn't cash in on like whatever fan base you had when it initially came out yeah like you know with like the uh like you established with the 90s with all the uh straight to video like sequels like to aladdin and all that like you had your fan base already there 
Yeah, we're only two or three years later. Yeah, I think so, Return of Jafar. So it was like it was like more Aladdin, more uh, more Lion King. Well, uh, whereas this, like, you know, thirteen years, they're adults now. So yeah, right. Like, oh, hey. well, how, how successful was the first one? Well, it's funny financially because then you know to to establish how you know they have this technology sitting around, they're trying to figure out a movie to use it on. You know, what would make them? choose this movie over every you know whatever possible thing it might have just been like a safer bet because you know it's i think i think it was more of a safer bet i know that when they were talking to mike gabriel who ended up co-directing the film um he had said i don't want to do the same situation that um the guys had done on oliver and company which was the first attempt at uh the disney renaissance it's kind of considered the last one of that 80s era where it's not as famous that one did fine uh, and that really should be considered the impetus of the Renaissance, but that's also a little bit forgotten as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were still using the cell animation where they were repeating characters and it was just a slog to get through everything. And the Little Mermaid utilized a little bit of the caps system, which is what helped them make this fully digital in the first place. It's actually in collaboration with a small company called Pixar. And that was their first attempt at utilizing the people from Pixar. Yeah, one of the writers of this is Joe Ramft, who helped write Toy Story and was going to be the director of Cars. And he, he had his hands in the first six Pixar films and a couple of things in Disney like this and Little Mermaid. And like yeah. all the sequences that were done with Caps, the Stampede and Lion King, uh, the, the, all the underwater scenes that, um, you know, like this were flyby shots, essentially. Those were all Caps. And so they tinkered with it a little bit on Little Mermaid, but then really wanted to try it on something like this. And I think it's what you said, it's just something that they weren't too worried about. Right. Uh, the one thing I know is Jeffrey Katzenberg didn't really care about this as much. And when this didn't do well right away, he shelved all the advertising. Mm-hmm. So it didn't help it go any further. Like they could have had word of mouth. This, the ironic thing is that this got overshadowed by a bigger family film that one of Rescuers Down Under's co-stars was also in Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Both came out that first week. Home Alone does 47 million or something like its first weekend. One of the biggest openings of all time. Yeah, and then it was like number one for a bunch of weeks afterward. Yeah, and this made 47 million, I think, total. And with inflation, that would probably be like 100 now, which is still pretty low for a Disney animated movie. Oh, it only made uh, 27 total. Oh, and I'm, I'm just seeing sevens everywhere. Home Alone made 17 its first weekend, but Rescuers Down Under made 27 total. And uh, as you were asking before, the original Rescuers did 47. That's where I got that mm-hmm. number. So, you know, adjusting it, for inflation between 77 and 1990, that's yeah. still not great. Not much. <laughs> not for the Disney Renaissance. Yeah. Uh, Little Mermaid, I know, made like 108 right yeah and as we know lion king for years was the biggest animated film of all time i think finding nemo might have beaten it that makes sense yeah i don't know i remember loving this film as a kid and like for for the rest of my life whenever i hear the word rescue i'm like these stupid mice come into my head (laughs) i like this one much more than the original like you said Corey. and i think it's mostly because i saw it first this was one of the first ones I think I saw on video. It's because I, I would have been four. Yeah, I think it's 
I think in every facet, it's superior to the original. The storyline's more compelling. The uh, the characters are more full. They're, they're more quirky and funnier. And I think that the animation is like delightfully kinetic. It doesn't feel like they're doing those flight sequences just shoehorned into the movie just to show off the new technology. It's actually incorporated and organic into the into the fabric of the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, the first shot through the uh, the flower field is spectacular. Even by today's standards, it looks great. Mm-hmm. It made me think of a couple uh, episodes ago, we talked about, uh, well, I talked about the Jetsons movie and how it had certain sequences that were all um, digital, which was going through space. And it clashes horribly with the traditional hand-drawn animation. This is seamless. Mm-hmm. It looks perfect. Juxtaposed with uh, the traditional stuff with the yeah, mice when, and everything. When Wilbur's flying through everything, it is Wilbur, right? Orville and Wilbur are the two. Wilbur, yeah. Okay, the John Candy character is Wilbur. Yeah, so, so Jim Jordan had voiced Orville in the first film, but he passed away two months before they started uh, doing the voice acting on this. So they had to recast and kind of reconfigure what they were doing. So you can kind of tell they're just like, oh, and I'm his brother. <laughs> Uh, which is fine, and it's actually a genius uh, happy accident where uh, they just are able to use the other Wright brother name. Um, but I actually think he's really funny in the movie. Mm-hmm. He's a good comic relief. I love John Gandy. Uh, so this this may have been, I think, the first thing I saw him in. So when he, I finally saw him in live action, he, he was one of my favorite actors as a kid. Uncle Buck and Home Alone and mm-hmm. uh, Vacation. So... Um, but yeah, the, the flight sequences, when he's in there, it doesn't look like he's over a green screen or something to get that digital in. Right. So. Yeah, it was, I don't know. It, it, I agree with Corey. It, it, the whole thing felt really like the the CGI, not CGI. Well, it was CGI. You know, it was computer generated cool. imagery. Um, it worked. Um like you felt like you were flying you didn't because a lot of the problems with the earlier cell animation when you're doing those intense sequences it's a lot more difficult because not only do you need to do the frame by frame animation but it's you know it's it's really jarring if you don't do it right if you have it on the wrong perspective or anything that's a lot of well, there's also the uh, problem with like uh, when you're doing a test animation to see how it looks like uh, if you do it on, well, you don't do it on cells first, you do it on paper, but like there's a whole process of like having to photograph it and you have to wait and that takes time and money. And if yeah. you didn't do a good test, then like you, that's it. Um, but um, with digital, like if you do a pencil test, uh, I don't know how it would work with digital. Well, well at least digital like... then in, in the uh, 90s. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how quickly they were able to get pencil tests going right. to see how it looked, but like I feel like... I know when we tried it, it was like in that day. We could we could check out if we were doing well yeah. enough, even though we were hand-drawing stuff and then just putting it into the computer. Obviously, that's with today's uh, scanners, but, yeah. you know, and, and the most rudimentary stuff we were testing, but... I'm sure with this, they, they could figure stuff out a lot faster, even even 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in, you know, Jimmy's perspective here as our resident animator. Yeah, because this is the first time we're actually doing a fully animated movie on the podcast. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of the like the animation specifically, uh, what I really dug about this movie, I completely forgot when we were watching this that it was it was a Disney film. Because it feels like a Don Bluth film. Yeah. No, you know, I legitimately thought it was a Don Bluth film, but by the time we finished, it's like, oh man, this is great. And then Tris was like, oh man, Disney, blah blah blah. I'm like, Disney. Uh, because like the the and like the actual character animation like is wildly different from like all the other '90s uh, animated uh, features. Mm-hmm. Like uh, this one is like very. Um, um, th- there's, there's stronger character animation because like there's a lot of like little bits here or there where like they're, they're very gestural and like very. Uh, Even look at her arms. Um, <laughs> very uh i mean delicate i guess the animators were delicate with their uh character drawings even Uh, looking at the characters like uh if you knew who the voice actors are they've incorporated certain attributes from the actors into the characters right like like uh obviously they cast bob newhart originally for his stammering neurotic shtick and -hmm. you can see a little bit of it when they've i i don't know if back then they recorded if they did video recordings of people doing the voices but uh uh i know they did for a lot of other 90s films so i think yeah. they did this. i read that they they looked at shots from dr strangelove to get uh stuff for george scott's performance as per- percival mcleach so that's before amazing, he even came actually. into the studio they're doing stuff from like the war room yeah that's great <laughs> yeah. fantastic well yeah i mean it's it was you know just reading the cast list and saying oh all right, General George Patton himself is is yeah. playing a villain in a Disney movie. Yep. The one Which... the one cool thing about uh, Percival McLeish uh, is that they ended up. If you think about it, you see Gaston and Scar even, and the Colonel in Tarzan, and the the villain in Atlantis. They're all kind of like these broad-shouldered, gruff, very left chins. Yeah, they, they're all basically Percival copies. They all have like lantern jaws like and angular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is again kind of copying, but like they're fun villains, all, all five of those. It's funny because all animation is you got to have like a shorthand. So in order to make him look more villainous, you have to have him with the, the high cheekbones, the yeah. angular features, the sunken <laughs> eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's really interesting because there are like four human characters in the entire movie. You know, yeah. you've got you've got the main boy, you've got McLeach. I think you only see. I don't even know if you see the mom's face. I don't remember. You, you but her back's turned briefly. And they name her in the credits, but they never say her name. Right, and then you see the dude in the uh, in the messaging room when they, which was also a really cool sequence when they were sending um, the message from Australia. Yeah, another caps. Right, but so, you know, to to your point as far as the expressive characters it's a lot it's very disney in that they they hadn't done a lot of um it was all animals in this one that they were focusing on Mm -hmm. they didn't really need to focus on too many human features like they did in little mermaid or it's kind of like the pixar up modus operandi because if you think about it toy story was all like exaggerated humanistic toys yeah. Uh, at first, then they do uh, A Bug's Life, which are strange creatures. Then they do Finding Nemo, which is all Fisher. They were testing out their underwater capabilities. 
to get environments and then they finally do humans even if they're a little exaggerated in the incredibles yeah uh, they were testing themselves to see if they could do stuff like aladdin and, and uh pocahontas and such i saw a really good going, going on for that i saw a really good video um where they went into the history of how pixar did um like animated humans mm. um and they go through that entire timeline because they're like you know we we that's why they focused on the toys and toy story and then just kind of worked their way um and then they just had to sort of develop their their style as they were going um because you know you look at <laughs> sid and andy from toy story and you compare it to like the incredibles and you're like oh they yeah. figured something out <laughs> major leap forward yeah <laughs> the one thing i that is a major departure for this as opposed to some other anime movies from the era the kid Cody can actually communicate can, can communicate with the animals and they can understand each other. Mm-hmm. There's almost like a Dr. Doolittle thing going on there. Usually yeah. they're in their own little microcosm. The humans are in their own and they don't intermingle at all. Yeah, like especially 101 Dalmatians, they're, they're trying to communicate by like pushing stuff over rather than actually right. talk. Even though we hear both and it doesn't, it's seamless in that. Yeah. Or Aristocats or Lady in the Tramp. There's a great scene of speechless um, uh, exposition when um, the uh, Golden Eagle rewards Cody with a feather. And I feel like in any other modern day Disney movie or any other anime movie, they would spell that out. Mm -hmm. But it's all done wordlessly and it's beautiful. Yeah, when when she puffs up her uh, neck and everything. Yeah. You got that they, young Steve yeah, Irwin thing going they, on. They 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 focused on a, a lot more to uh, on uh, attention to detail in this like uh, movie mm-hmm. um, compared to the other Disney movies. Like uh, like Corey was saying, like uh, not not so much uh, spelling out in this. It's more more acting out than spelling out. Mm-hmm. Plus, like the the well, pacing itself is so kinetic, and, and in a good way. It doesn't feel uh, frantic or anything. Yeah, but it's just there's a lot of cat and mouse chase sequences, and it's all Ah. probably it's just nah, right? Um, (laughs) Didn't even mean to do that. Um, But it even as opposed to the original, which I remember the original being kind of glacial. So this one, the pacing is a lot faster. The other one's I don't know if it's a half an hour longer. I should have looked up the runtime of the original. This is like an hour seventeen. Yeah, well, credits. Know, well, the Real first one was down. also like an hour eighteen, like it was around the same length. But I think because of the caps system, they, you know, they they cut off six months of usual animation time. So they're like, oh, we still have time budgeted here, so let's just make it as fluid and you know seamless as possible. Like they weren't forced to to crunch. They're as, actually the same yeah. length. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, another thing, back to the animation again and again. Um, That's what we're doing. <laughs> another thing that I distinctly remember is like the, a lot of the characters were doing a lot of acting with their their hands, like you saw their arms like move with their uh, um, with with their general acting, and like there's a lot of like pointing and like hand gestures and blah 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 yada yada yada. Whereas like in the other like Disney animated movies, it's more like you see more of the acting and like kind of the shoulders and the head mm-hmm. yeah i'm thinking of like yeah. a lot unless, unless they're direction. in a dance sequence and then like you see the rest of their body or there's an action sequence and yeah there's the rest of the body but like uh 
you don't see them like really get um animated uh, like really animated in like in the digits and they're like in their fingers or the hands the hands kind of just like if they're there yeah also i feel like there's more world building yeah, no, hands the are actual... which is why it's impressive that like they they just like spent a lot more time on the hands it makes it makes them like yeah. seem more uh i don't know if it's realistic but then you more can human. relate to, yeah i guess it's more yeah. anthropomorphic yeah so that you can relate to them better than even you do say quasimodo <laughs> well to that point um there's a lot of a lot more world building to the rescuers organization like mm -hmm. I, I loved it it's like really visually imaginative especially when uh i love when they're out to dinner and they're in the uh, chandelier above the fancy restaurant mm -hmm. and then you get to see the, the like caucus meeting where they they like give out the assignments and stuff like that i thought that was really cool i don't remember any of that in the original yeah. I don't no, I don't think there is. I remember <clears throat> seeing that second and thinking, why isn't there any fun like other uh, constituents talking about like, oh, good luck in the swamp. It's just right. mainly in the swamp. That's why this could have I been like it. a series of movies where they went to different locales, so, well, which is a shame that they just didn't do that well. They did also hope to do a third film, but the, the box office performance and then Ava Gabor passing away in 95 kind of put the kibosh on a third film they wanted to and they were even thinking of it until she passed away and then with two of the original actors gone there was no real hurry i think this is their last film role it is yeah i bet i bet it would have been straight to dvd at that point too or video video yeah, yeah. back when they had right. well, this is, dvd video. wasn't a thing yet in 95 <laughs> i still say dvd even though it's all blue straight to laser disc back when they weren't just shamelessly cranking out sequels for money Right. Ironically, this one didn't get a third. Yeah. So I still kind of hope that could happen because even even though Bob Newhart's in his 90s, I don't know that you need him. You could have a new cast playing the two of them I'm, or have I'm, their kids or something. I mean, you always sound old, so. It's going to be a live action one at some point. You got to. Uh, well, they're doing yeah. that live action Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which. Oh, God. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah. With uh, Andy Samberg and uh, John Mulaney playing what? Chippendale. Are they, they're oh. literally just trying to do the chipmunk thing. Yep. It's, it's, um, it's it is it is going to be a hybrid thing with uh with andy and john being the voices not really like there as mice so, oh or, no yeah. i thought that it was okay i thought it was going to be like you know how so there's going to uh, be how, how, um jason what's his face was jason lee, yeah. there's going to be a jason lee talking to the rescue rangers i think that's what i'm getting the impression of yeah i don't know about it <laughs> though that to that point um the reason I, I liked Rescue Rangers was because I liked this. So this yeah. helped me get into all the Disney afternoon shows. I mean, you can see the seeds of so much in this movie, how they like, as they were creating it, they're like, you know, there are a lot of other things we can explore here. Like you could definitely see the beginnings of Ratatouille. You can see, um, you know, it, it was also interesting, you know, in typical Disney fashion, trying to figure out which animals they decided to make sentient in which they didn't mm. you know i i love the you know, the eagle the, never talks right but, but the kangaroo but it does it talks in a way it doesn't use a voice but it talks right you know the kangaroo I, speaks english right the which by the way the only person that has an australian accent is i sorry i forget the other mouse tristan, name. tristan rogers he's playing um and of course i've only got the exact character jake. is it jake yeah 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 
Who? What is Jake supposed to be again? I don't even know. A kangaroo rat. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh. Um, also, if you think about it, Jimmy brought this up when we were watching. Um, all the ones that don't talk are predators, for the most part, right? Yeah. Oh. For the most part. I think, yeah. I think Frank eats some bugs, but. Yeah, and what's his um, face? Uh, Joanna. Joanna. Yeah, Joanna never talks. Frank Welker is the voice. Yeah, yeah, Frank Welker, who is one of the most prolific, most prolific. actors for animals we've known. He does it pretty much everything, isn't he? A He's also Megatron. Yeah. Yep, that's yep. true. Yeah. Um, he does the gremlins. As far as I can remember, that was the first time I noticed there were repeat voice actors was when Frank Welker did Joanna. I was really excited because I, I'm pretty sure he did a boo, but I, or a couple other things, at least in the 90s yeah. Disney era. Yeah, once when you know a voice actor, like, yeah. you know a voice actor. It, it was Frank Welker and Jim Cummings I kept noticing popping up in all the Disney stuff. So that was, I think, one of the reasons I was excited about this. And for me, seeing someone named Tristan in anything else, this guy voicing uh, Jake was the first person named Tristan that I ever saw. Representation uh, matters. Very excited. Yeah. Well, uh, he's still acting. Uh, he ended up on General Hospital in the late 90s and he's been there since. So he's been around. Uh, it was he's also one of the... Disney doesn't really dabble in darker undertones that much anymore, but the subtext to a lot of this. Oh my god! Going on in the movie, especially the the comeuppance for the villain at the end is pretty harsh for a Disney movie. He they goes over wanted, a waterfall. They wanted to have him ripped apart by a pack of dingoes, yeah. and then they they thought about having that happen with Gaston getting ripped apart by a bunch of wolves, and then right. finally they put it in. Uh, Lion King, where Scar is attacked by the hyenas. They felt it was fine to have another animal get killed that way. The child in peril scene. They wanted to do it. <laughs> where Cody's yeah. dangling over crocodiles. Yeah. He My, almost commits child murder. This is yeah. like child abduction movie. It was it was weird. Which it, it, we didn't actually talk about the full synopsis at all yet. But you know, this this wee lad in Australia gets abducted by a poacher and. Then the rescuers get there. Yeah, both of whom don't have Australian accents. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know. Cody starts out having an Australian accent. He's like, oh, bye, mom. And the then back. immediately drops it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's, the kids I didn't even, I don't even remember that. I thought like just the whole thing, like, yeah. nonstop, just all American. Yeah, it's yeah. like Elizabeth Olsen playing Wanda. Yeah, she's giving up. <laughs> Her accent's gone. Well, she's doing a sitcom. I think that's a choice all right that no the later movie watch, so let's it. not get too far into that <laughs> sorry that, that, that's over by now this is this is later yeah. she probably used her witchy powers to like get rid of her accent come on sure she's a scarlet witch she could do yeah. anything womp womp um but yeah and then seeing <laughs> this weird old poacher guy just suddenly takes such relish in abducting a child and torturing yeah. him yeah and throwing him in the same basement cage setup that he has for all of his prize animals who you never see again for the rest of the movie oh yeah they don't go rescue the rest of them i guess you just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that bianca and bernard go and like Cody you never see the mother panicking around. about the son being gone either yeah, yeah. and then like the last shot of the, 
the last shot of the movie is Wilbur still sitting on the eagle's eggs, and you're like, did he? Did she ever go back for that? Like, what do we? Yeah, I also thought there happen. was going to be a scene after the credits where he gets out from the waterfall, yeah. like he survives somehow. And I'm like, oh, never mind, he's dead. Yeah. Okay. Nope. <laughs> and so um, begins the the Disney killing off their villains by throwing. You know what's off. a weird thing that I just thought of? I kind of wish that like the villain survived, so that way he could have gone to jail. Actually, you know, got punished. Yeah. For his crimes, especially like committing kidnapping. Like the kid was threatening the whole. Well, maybe not. Yeah, no. The kid was threatening. Like the Rangers are gonna find you. They're yeah, gonna never get you. The and like the guy wasn't afraid. He was like, "Yeah, they're not gonna find they're me." Right. But like, what if they had? He maybe that's like, why oh, Home Alone did better because they sent those villains to jail. Yeah. yeah. Like that's why it did better. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I feel like if the ending was that, this mm-hmm. probably would have like done so much better in the box office. it wouldn't have been a that's satisfying ending guys. mostly they just need an ending it's just kind yeah. of like well we got you cody good just, luck getting home yeah <laughs> they wanted the going on animals to be the true the heroes like like what if he died in the desert yeah he has he has mice to get him home how is he getting back to his farm Ber- bernard was actually fairly ruthless in the shot where he pushes him over the edge <laughs> i'm like <laughs> oh my god so, what what if, what if a pack of dingoes did show up yeah. And got them. Yeah. Like, I don't think all that, like, grit that the uh, one Australian mouse had would, would stop a pack yeah. of dingoes. Like, it's a pack of dingoes. Yeah. You're dead. This got, this took a turn. I was going to say, it's going to turn to wake and Listen, fright. if you're going to talk about, if you're going to set a movie in Australia, you got to talk about Australia. Yeah. Of yeah. the two Australian movies that we watched back to back, this is the superior one for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, it is odd that this is a big thing this this year, but uh, Crocodile Dundee hit so big that they they rushed to put a couple yeah. into uh, production. So. Wait, I think this might have actually been the movie that like kicked off my fascination with Australia. Hundred percent for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Robert Muldoon. That's it. Look at Jake. Yep. Jake, Jake, and Robert, Robert Muldoon are what I loved as a kid. So, but like, uh, is random, uh, yeah. did a. Like Ferngully come out after this? It was like 92, 92. Yes. So like did, this was the movie that set the trend where like people in Australia have American accents. Mm. Right. Because I didn't know Ferngully took place in Australia to like middle school, no, high school. Is yeah. that, it's not like Brazil? No, it's Australia. Really? Yeah. Really? I didn't find out till high school. I was Where's like, where's the what? rainforest? <laughs> There's rainforest in Australia. Just, you know, kind of. Tucked away somewhere, I think. Okay. Huh. I didn't think it was set in Australia either. I thought it was the Amazon. Yeah. Me too. We'll, fa- we'll fact check it later. Yeah, watch. I'm wrong. And like I'm just <laughs> put down the bottom the internet now. Yeah, yeah. Correct him. I mean, I'm already an idiot on the internet. No. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised that I'm an idiot on the internet. Come on, <laughs> I already admitted it. Just four idiots talking about movies. <laughs> Oh, there you go. On the internet. Four idiots in a bad situation. Yes. Four good guys in a bad situation. I'm trying to think if there's any other... Uh, a couple stuff. of good mice in a bad situation. I really wish there had been a third film, honestly. Because they could they could have hopped around to other pit, other places around do, the world. Do you know if any of like the like big and like original animators worked on this film oh yeah well the 90s ones not maybe the the this what was the original seven the old boys or whatever yeah i mean it It wasn't them it wasn't because like like ollie johnston or uh yeah because like the 
again back to the animation Couple style. Were like, still just the way, the way that like, it, it, it looked a lot more. The big thing with this, the thing that I pointed I out to you at the end of watching this was that some of the supervising animators would go on to do a lot of big things, like Glenn Keane, who just came out with his directorial debut, Over the Moon. Uh, he was in all the 90s movies. This was his second project, I think. Uh, he, I don't know, it wasn't second, because I noticed he worked on the original Rescuers, but that was like he was a copy boy on that or something. Yeah. Uh, Brenda Chapman, who ended up directing uh, Brave and then just did Godmother. I know they're not the best, but she uh, she was getting her start around here. Um, who else was there? Those are the two that I noticed. There was, oh, names, so. um, Chris Sanders, who did Lilo and Stitch. He was on this. Uh, there, there was uh, another guy that did something with Treasure Planet, I noticed. I forget his name. But those, those were the four that I, I noticed. They're all throughout these this decade. And um, Mike Gabriel, the one that I mentioned directed this, he ended up doing uh, Pocahontas, I believe. Where do I have our list? Yeah, oh, he had done Oliver and Company and he ended up directing Pocahontas next. Um, like I mentioned, Ramp did a lot of Pixar. Kerry Kirkpatrick, who helped him write this, ended up directing Over the Hedge for DreamWorks, but he also worked on... Uh, actually, he did a lot of outside of Disney work, but... Um, here's a fun fact about Carrie Kirkpatrick that you like, Jeff. He ended up writing with his brother, Something Rotten. I was going to bring that up, actually. Because <laughs> I remember looking at that credit, and I'm like, oh! One of, one of Jeff's favorite musicals, so. Yeah. The, these guys, all, all the people that worked on this uh, ended up doing a lot of stuff for the next two decades that, that we didn't realize we loved, you know? Loved them for. Yeah. Well, it also seems like there was a lot more collaboration back then between animators and directors. Like, there were, you see a lot of co-directors and co-writers on things. That's still um, somewhat common. You look at Pixar, you have uh, people end up directing now that had been co-directors on Cars or, or like, Good Dinosaur. So... They kind of they, they kind of wet their teeth on on things this way, but you're right. There's a, a lot more collaboration back then, I think. Yeah, <clears throat> but it's also like a very good. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to see the animators in charge, too. Um, I know that that's kind of it's been up and down with that for the past twenty years, but. You know, this John K ruined that. Well, this is this is when they were uh, taking back their studio. They they're like I said in the beginning, they were about to shut down the Florida studio. Yeah, and this this totally revived them down there. And I remember I went to Disney once back in '93, and we took a tour of the animation studio, and they were so proud of showing it off because I didn't realize when I was six that they almost lost it all. And so they, they were showcasing Nightmare Before Christmas because that was about to come out when I went. I went in November 93. And so they were they were just thrilled to just show us, like, look at where we work. This is so cool. So I kind of, I'm a huge Disney fan. So I, I take pride in the fact that they were able to revive their entire company from this. Though now they're like the evil juggernaut taking over all the companies. Yeah. So right. for rescuers down under, maybe we'd have a, less of a monopoly. <laughs> I saw some some great meme the other day where they're just it's just this fictional timeline of how Disney takes over the world. Yeah, they eventually you say like it's fictional. The United States. 
Yeah. But I mean, there's there's a Disney World in a lot of countries around the world. Yeah. So like, they're all just they, going they, to be embassies. Have... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why they're picking princesses in every part of the world, so you can be in the uh, Tiana section, or oh, you're, yeah. you're in the Elsa section of the world. So. Right. Just gonna be a big one, big Epcot Center ride for all of us. Oh god! Yeah. I mean, as long as they, they take that waterfall out of nowhere, I'm good. And that's when you find out that everything is actually just a product of Disney Imagineering. Yeah. Birds aren't real. Lithuania yeah, doesn't. Real well, 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 actually, we're in. We're all in a Disney simulation. The Matrix was, was a you know, a metaphor for Disney. The yeah. machines are Disney. It's, We're really it's, going down the rabbit hole spaceship, now. Spaceship Earth, man. Spaceship yeah. Earth. All right. I don't know if uh, else we... <laughs> well, watch. Because, yeah. because we go on to these, consp- these conspiracies, we end up being in like... like a... <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Before we go on, Jimmy, there was a segment that I wanted to bring up last time that I oh. think you can actually go into on this. I don't know. Describe McLeach's weapon. Oh, yes. Wait, McLeach's weapon? Yeah, do you remember his gun? They actually, they actually did have a, a model. Oh, legit! I did not pay. Like, I, w- I was focusing entirely on like the animation. So, like, it, it's like weird that like uh, me being like a part-time gun nut. I'm, I don't even know if I'm acting. No, no. He's just like he's, I, he's I just, I just expert know, on weapon. Yeah, I just know enough. Now over the board, but I wish I'm I was more than. Uh, <laughs> but no, like um. I did not pay attention to his uh his weapon uh in this. Like I was definitely like focusing like on the animation throughout the film. Well, in case anyone was wondering, according to the trivia, McLeach's shotgun is a Winchester model nineteen twelve with heavy modifications, including a scope. Reminds me of Quigley's gun. Yeah. Yeah. Well it's a popular it's it's the Quigley. The thing to do. The Quigley, yeah, because that was you said it was a shotgun movie. Jeff, you said it was a shotgun? Yes. And the dude needs a scope on a shotgun. That's sad. Because well, he's a terrible poacher. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. true. I mean. Also, it goes to, you know. I guess you got that eagle that, in one shot. He did. I guess it's better yeah. that Disney didn't go too much into, like, how detailed the poaching was. Yeah. So it's just like. I mean, all the animals described how they were going to get turned into bags and other paraphernalia. So. That koala. Uh, did you recognize the koala's voice? I know no, not who was that? Huge actor. It was the Sultan from Aladdin. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. He, did, he yeah. did a couple of things, but yeah, you can hear it. He's like, Jasmine, don't, don't believe me. Or I don't know. You're going to be a handbag. Paul's going to take you over. Um, yeah, I... I just, I guess my final thoughts would be something like, I want a third film. I guess if I were to ever somehow work for Disney, I'd want to write a third Rescuers. That's my dream project for Disney. Not make a Star Wars film? I mean... Or work on Star Wars? That's under Disney now, so I guess... Yeah, no, dude, like... space. Can we have... Don't forget what kind of nerd you are. You know know what I could do? I could have mice aliens in Star Wars. You've just given me that... God. Or like the rescuers uh, got like cryogenically frozen somehow, and they end up in the Star Wars universe. No, no, I'm just gonna have a rescuers plot. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> it'll be like a sub story. 
Yeah. Like in, during during one of the other Star Wars movies, you just see all these little mice around the Death Star, like doing. They're stuff. the ones controlling C-3PO when he doesn't have a shell yet. They're going to be dining in the chandelier of the cantina. Yeah, Spec yeah. this right now. <laughs> so, um, so I assume we all liked this, from what I'm gathering. I give it a firm B plus. It it brought back some some treasured memories, you know. So it was. It was good. I give it an A plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is probably Corey and I were discussing this the other day, and I made a full list of all the Disney films because I've seen all the animated features they've made. Yeah. Uh, so I made an extensive uh, ranking. This is uh, fourth, I believe. I had it. Maybe oh, we'll talk about our top three at the end of the. Yeah, that's what I want to do for picks of the month. So we'll see in a minute. Why don't uh, world? What, what was your grade? Uh, Jeff, um, I mean, solid B plus, A minus. Like it, it's it was it kept up. You know, it kept you kept your your childhood attention span, um, and it was very it was very well done. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I don't really have any bad things to say about this movie other than. Yeah. You know, why didn't they go back and save the rest of the animals? <laughs> it needed like oh. one or two more scenes where yeah. everyone gets yeah. home. It needed, like, <laughs> it needed a post credit. I know I just assumed that happened, but <laughs> probably didn't. That, I think that's why they didn't have it. They're like, eh, they'll assume they got loose. Yeah. We assume the best in Cody. Like them playing with scale and everything. Yeah. I guess, uh, Corey, what other uh, films would we want to go to? Um, I know, I know, I wanted to bring one up right before. Oh yeah, you want to start with that one? So, for a brief sidebar, um, one of the other films that came out this month, th- this this Rescuers Down Under came out at the end. The first of the month was uh, right around Halloween, so they still had a little bit of a horror uh, weekend. I wouldn't even consider this a horror. Movie. It was more of a thriller, yeah. but um, thriller. psychological. The reason that I wanted to start this off is uh, back when Corey and I met in college, uh, we would hang out and watch some movies, but um, the big thing that solidified our friendship, we went out on Halloween weekend and uh, explored the area, and we were basically in the middle of a cornfield out in Pennsylvania, and uh, the night we went out, which was, I believe, Halloween itself, I don't remember if it was the 30th or the 31st, but it was on a weekend, and uh, we go out and the whole area is shrouded in fog. We find this back road behind campus and we start heading down it. And uh, we see some creepy foliage that we're like playing tricks on our mind in the shadows and the fog and everything. And we end up at the end of the road and there's this big shed that looked like it was straight out of the village, which had just come out. There was uh, a tavern that looks like it's straight out of American Werewolf in London. Right. This, this slaughtered land, that's what it looked yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like a black cat ran across our path. And, uh, so we dubbed this the walk and we'd take it every year and like reminisce once we were out of college, like this, we'd meet on campus and, and go on these walks and stuff. But the whole thing was that night as Corey uh, came out of his dorm room, he's like, I just watched this amazing movie, Jacob's Ladder. And he, he I, I don't know, if, was this the first time you'd seen it or were you yeah. watching it? Okay, it was your first time. I took... 17 years to get around to it but i finally watched it because this is the month that it came out so i wanted to see it before you uh discussed it so if you want to tell them the synopsis 
Jimmy and I watch it together too, so we can we can all talk about it a little bit. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Jeff. So I want to be a little tentative about the premise, though, because I don't want to go too far into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think people should see this. This is one of the best movies I've ever seen. I loved it. Yeah, Tim. <laughs> yeah, it's it's brilliant. Um, Tim it? Robbins is uh, he's a uh, Vietnam vet, and uh, he's experiencing some daytime nightmares visions of demons he's not quite sure why he thinks it might be because of experimental drugs that he was given during the war or even just ptsd yeah ptsd um i don't want to say any more beyond that because this movie's kind of like uh, a rorschach test so there's a lot going on underneath the surface yeah but tim robbins is great (laughs) And you know what? A lot of the imagery that we consider kind of um, chilling nowadays, some of the, the the photographic gimmicks that they do now, like people's heads shaking really fast back and forth, uh, was innovated in this movie. I was wondering if that was the case. Because, I, yeah, I think the, the, um, the shutter speed of people's heads moving really fast, you know, that really unsettling effect that's caused during that. And then uh, there's a couple scenes in a nightclub that are amazing where you see almost like HP Lovecraft tentacles subtly, but because it's a strobe light, you're not quite sure what you see and what you don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, and there's a little bit of Lovecraft in this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, uh, I would say trippy. Always I mean, like we, we already- Very psychedelic. Psychological thriller, but it's like, it's trippy. The definition of a psychological tr- thriller. I don't have to watch this now. I think you'd like it, Jeff. It probably set the standard for a psychological thriller. Yeah. I think so. And it's weird because it's directed by Adrian Lynn, who's kind of known for erotic thrillers now. Well, there's some sex in this. Yeah. There is, but it's a. It's I no think. Faithful, but. Yeah, it's a. It's what. It's almost like a precursor to like a Charlie Kaufman mind teaser because there's several stories going on concurrently and uh, the ending's a little bit open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. It's ambiguous, but you never, you don't feel cheated by the end. So actually it almost um, sets itself up for repeat viewings. I don't want to give my whole critique on it because I know you want to talk about it, but. Yeah, no, I, I wanted, that's how I wanted to lead in. I was just, happy that it was as good as it is because it, it wasn't like I was ever nervous that it was bad. You told me as we're going through, I'm remembering you telling me the entire synopsis as we were walking. So, okay. so I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I did actually know what happened, but I, in the intermittent 15 or so years, I, I kind of erased it from my memory so that I, it would come fresh to me. So I honestly, give away that Louis Black cameo, did I? <laughs> yeah. Did you notice him, Jimmy? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice him. I didn't actually yeah. don't know where was he. When uh, when uh, they give him a bath and they put all the ice oh, cubes inside, really him. he's like, "You're gonna be fine." He's yeah. the doctor. I realize that. Yeah. He's the doctor. Interesting. So. Colin yeah. Quinn has a cameo too. Yeah. At the he's a Colin Quinn. <laughs> yeah, he, he's uh, the hot dog vendor, I think. Oh okay. Yeah okay. Interesting. Uh, the the one thing I will say that I, I would like to mention that doesn't give anything away, it's set in New York for the most part, or Vietnam, because there's, you know, Nam flashbacks, yeah. but um, 
I love seeing old New York and like in King of New York, you got to see some subway gritty uh, graffiti covered cars and everything. I just love seeing them walk around places that I've been now 30 years later, or even when I first started going 15 years ago. And all of it's so different. It's just a time capsule of New York in a way that he's, he's in downtown like Greenwich village. Uh, so it's, it's awesome to see the streets, how they looked then, because buildings are still there, but like you get the sense of uh, being able to transport yourself back to 1990. So it's, it's really cool to see. I love when it does that. And I'm sure people get that from LA or other places well, they've been. The, New the, York, the New movie York was 1990, but it takes place in the 70s. True. So it's right. like a time capsule within a time capsule. Right. So you get the it's, 70s feel, but it's also like just the fact that it's shot in 1990. I get to see it when I was four. So, what'd you think of it, Jimmy? Oh, I, I I liked it a lot. Like it was a, it was pretty good. I may have enjoyed it too much. Yeah, you related I, to it? Oh yeah, well, I was like, it's like, huh? Yeah, uh -huh. a lot of this stuff is relatable. Because you know, I see demons during the day. Yeah, they're actually awesome. no, I do I do get sleep paralysis quite a bit. So like, it's oh. like inverted, but like I get that. Like it's just like. Yeah, you don't want to be seeing that. Yeah. Whether awake or asleep. Mm -hmm. It's not fun. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah, say check it out if, you, if you've never seen it. Or it's going to have to go on Jeff's wish list. Honestly, but, uh, I definitely wanted to focus on Disney for this so we could talk a little bit about all of Disney. What a, yeah. yeah. What I a don't know if I'm going to because uh, honestly, like Pocahontas is huge, Lion King's huge, Aladdin's huge. This is the one that we could talk about for for a hidden gem. So yeah, right. So sorry to overshadow uh, Jacob's ladder, but no. so uh, what other films were there? Um, uh, Roger Corman, who's usually known as a producer of kind of like Z grade exploitation movies, actually uh, made a movie called Frankenstein Unbound that he directed. And it's, it's not a straight Mary Shelley uh, adaptation. It's weird. Um, it's set in the year 2031, and there's time slips. Uh -oh. And John Hurt plays a scientist who gets transported back to Geneva right around the time that Mary Shelley was writing her novel. And the inspiration for it is Dr. Frankenstein, played by Raul Julia. Oh. This which actually, actually sounds amazing. What is this? I, I know it does sound amazing, but it's not. Don't ruin it, this it, for me. It, it plays itself way too seriously for such a silly premise. It should let itself loose. It It's replete with potential, but it plays like a PBS costume drama for the most part. Hmm. And Rod Julia doesn't bring the fun that he had in Street Fighter to this, unfortunately. He's not <laughs> showing the scenery, which is what you want in a Rob Julia performance. Yeah. Yeah. He ain't kissing any spider women. No. I never saw that movie. <laughs> yeah, I never did. Um here's good. So there was since uh we're at the end of October, beginning of November, um, there was a, another horror sequel that came out, Child's Play Two, which is basically just a rehash of the first movie the only thing that distinguishes this from the first one is there's a really there's a really good uh climax in the toy factory oh i've heard about that i thought that was part of the movie hmm. honestly it's one of those movies where it frustrates me that the 
adults are such idiots that they never catch on to the point where as the audience member vicariously you're getting frustrated and infuriated with the characters on screen yeah i hate that yeah i, I can't stand that um there was a there's a movie about the the craze these gangsters over in London, which have been used in a bunch of the other movies. Actually, there was a recent movie called Legend by Tom Ryan, with Tom Hardy playing dual roles. They were, they were twin gangsters. Um, this one was by Peter Maydeck. I never, I've never seen it, so I can't speak to its quality. I glance at that. None of the cast sounds familiar, so I feel like this wasn't very big. No, no. Kind of a blip on the radar. Um, Showtime produced uh psycho sequel psycho for the beginning mm. which uh anthony perkins character uh calls into a talk show and talks about his early beginnings on why he became a serial killer what and it's it and it also somehow he starts to get the urge to kill again so he's kind of has to get talked off the ledge it's oddly structured and uh, I don't necessarily know that we need to demystify Norman Bates like that and need to know his origin story. Do you ever see Bates Motel? Yeah, that's the unfortunate part of that show. I watched I watched the first season. It's good, but it's like, why? This yeah. whole thing with... Uh, I hate when movie? they... I've always been weirded out by that show because it's it's the kid from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, the good doctor. Yeah, and the, and the good doctor. Um, he was not good in that. Uh, the it's like that Clarissa that just came out when we were recording. I don't know by now it could have been canceled, but I, I'm hearing uh, bad reviews as it comes out the week we're recording. So like, Which why, why rehashing Hannibal when we could do something new? Clarice. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you know he's iconic. I know it's the the thing that I always say is uh, Sam Rockwell was interviewed about Poltergeist when he did the remake and he's like would you rather see a haunted house movie with Sam Rockwell or would you rather see Poltergeist but this time with Sam Rockwell actually the former sounded better yeah, <laughs> I'd rather see a haunted better. house movie with Sam Rockwell yeah I'd, I'd rather see something new always but that's because we see so much we're like oh you're just doing it again yeah, but even if they had changed the name, it wouldn't have mattered because they completely replicate scenes and scenarios yeah. from the first movie. So we just say it was a ripoff. Yeah. Um, it's a as, you, as Tristan said, Home Alone came out this month. Biggest film of the year. Biggest film of the year. Uh, damn fine movie, if you ask me. Still holds up. Heartwarming Christmas classic. Now, what do you guys think of Home Alone? I'm sure you both have seen it. Oh, yeah. I'm over it. Yeah, I like it. Over it. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Over it, man. Macaulay like Culkin's still one of the best child actors ever. Do you have it in your rotation around Christmas? Because yeah. I've seen it once. I watched one and two. It feels, it feels Christmassy. Yeah. Which is Wait. weird because they show it on Thanksgiving. Yeah, November uh, No, the same weekend, November sixteenth, nineteen. So like he came out in two movies. This one in. Yes. Or, oh, or, by the way, yeah. Jigsaw yeah, uh, yeah. Origins. Um, another sequel. Probably the worst, one of the worst sequels of all time, in my opinion. Rocky Five came out. Oh, right. Which is a complete disgrace to the franchise. Still Never should have been made. The week that Rescuers Down Under, Rocky Five still beat it. Oh. Everything about this movie is bad. Mm hmm. 
Um, even the last fight scene, the final blow that Rocky has against Tommy Gunn is it's a staged hit with him this far away from even connecting. It's so bad. I don't know how that got through editing. Yeah. But Thank God uh, Rocky Balboa saved the franchise and then it's so bad. Thank God he got to do Rocky Balboa and save the franchise. Yeah. Um uh, another TV movie. Uh, pretty iconic, actually. Uh, Stephen King's It. Oh, right. Came out this month. Hmm. I'm, I'm assuming we've all seen that. Or at least I have no? not. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I've always wanted to. I, I walked in when my parents were watching it when I was like four, and they're like, no, get out of here. You're frightened for the rest of your it's life. It's strange. It has the same problem that the, uh, the two movies have, which is the kid's storyline is far superior to the adults. Hmm. I feel like that's how the book is too, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, but they never go into the. Thankfully, they never go into the cosmic turtle backstory about it and, all, and Pennywise and all that. Obviously, uh, Tim Curry's the best thing about the movie. It mm-hmm. doesn't hold up as well anymore, and you can tell. Actually, watching it now, I used to think it was a theatrical movie because I didn't see it when it aired. But watching it now, you can see they. Um, it's heavily censored. Obviously, you can see the commercial breaks. Right. So even at the beginning, like when you watch the new movie, uh, Georgie's Death, obviously it's really graphic in the new movie. In this one, it's a slow push into Pennywise's mouth, and they cut away. So it's all suggested. Tasteful. So, yeah, implied horror. And tasteful. Horror, horror. No. Um, a movie that swept the Oscars, Dance with Wolves, came out. Yeah, this is the best picture of the year. So we right. have the best box office and best picture in the same. According moment. to the Academy, it's the best picture. We yeah, know. We, we know better. We, we know better. Um, it's still a really good movie, though. I meant to look up the other three nominees, but I did not. I know Green Card's one of them. We'll no probably do that in our year wrap up. We'll yeah, we could do that then. Um, uh, hidden agenda. Well, sorry, I wanted to ask. Had, had, I assume you've seen Dances with Wolves, Corey, but have you two seen? Oh, it? Yeah. oh it's a really good movie. I've not, not seen Dances with good. Wolves. I did see Avatar though, and I'm told that's basically <laughs> the same movie. Gotcha. So I is mean, Fern Gully. Uh, Speaking uh, of Fern Gully, Avatar, The Last Samurai. They're, they're all the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Jeff and I should try to watch it before this year-end wrap-up, maybe. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I guess this established the formula of the white savior. Mm-hmm. You know what you really need to see Speaking for the perfect white savior, book. like or white savior um, theme, uh, the last of the Mohicans, because it's not oh, really a white right. savior movie. Yeah, well, technically, yeah, no, like, is not an Indian. Well, he's not. Honestly, he's, the he's the adopted son of an Indian, yeah. and he's the last Mohican. He's like, yeah, I'm the last of my people, and uh, blah 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 blah. Go fight your war. I'm done. Yeah, that's a great movie too. That's a real good. Yeah. Honestly, Dancing with Wolves is a great movie. It's just not as good as Goodfellas. Yeah. It's kind of like Ordinary People Raging Bull. I like both. Mm, I think there's a vast difference. between. I, I saw it recently and I was like, Donald Sutherland's giving one of his best performances. I can't. And, and Mary Tyler Moore. And yeah. I don't know. It's a different feeling in the same way that Dancing with Wolves just doesn't hold a candle to Goodfellas. Right. Uh, that's the argument always for the Scorsese stuff. He's always getting snubbed. Yeah. Aviator versus Million Dollar <laughs> Baby. Aviator's yeah. better. Both good movies. 
Or are they? No. But no one's talking about Million Dollar Baby anymore. That's true. True. Yeah. Um, Hidden Agenda came out with a. It's a Ken Loach movie about um, trials with the IRA. Uh, I've never seen it. Yeah. Ken Loach. Um, yeah, but it's got a good cast. It's got Brad Dorf. It's got uh, Francis McDormand. Um, I, I should probably get around to watching it. Uh, it got pretty decent reviews. Um, Predator 2 came out. Um, actually, this is you and I. I think we were talking about this on the phone uh, maybe last week. We were talking about movies that we initially maligned and actually came around to enjoying. And this is one of those. I used to hate this movie because I kept comparing it to the original. I'm like, why isn't Arnold in this? Why isn't this in the jungle? But now I appreciate the differences a lot more. Um, has anybody else seen Predator 2? Oh, I love Predator 2. Oh, yeah. I love okay, Predator so, I, so have you always I loved Predator 2? I, I saw Predator 2 first before I saw the first Predator. So like I, like, I had the inverse of you where like, I'm seeing the first Predator for the first time. I'm like, where's Danny Glover? Danny Glover's not here. <laughs> this is a Predator. That's funny. That's I think they're both great. Yeah, no, they are. But it's like, I, I did the opposite of Corey. I was yeah. like, no, wait, no, this is a Predator. What's going on? I saw them both as an adult and could separate them. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um, Robot Jocks, which is a, it's a weird... Uh, <laughs> Does anybody remember Amp Empire Pictures? Charles Band. No. He did a lot of movies on shoestring budgets. Like, uh, I'm sure everybody knows the Puppet Master franchise. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. Okay, so yeah, they were known for that. Um, Stuart Gordon, who did Reanimator mm -hmm. and uh, From Beyond. This was his PG-rated movie between um, Dolls and The Pit and the Pendulum. And it actually, if you watch it, Clearly, Guillermo del Toro is a fan because this is essentially Pacific Rim without, oh. without kaiju in it. It's about big Jaegers fighting each other, but it's set during the it, it's set in the future, but they're still playing on Cold War tensions because it's an American versus a Russian, and obviously the Russian's the very caricatured, snarling villain. I but, thought they were uh, at the uh, Berlin Wall fell as they were writing wait, the script. What's the name of this movie again? Robot Jocks. <laughs> You've probably seen memes I, of it. I probably, no, I think I might have seen like parts of it when I was a kid because this sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's a lot. Actually, the uh, for being made on a pretty low budget, some of the stop motion looks pretty good. The movie itself is a little too uh, poker faced to have a lot of fun with this, but um, for a for a PG rated movie, they go into a lot of details that probably aren't too family friendly. Like mm -hmm. at one point there's a big mishap during one of the, uh, <laughs> during one of the battles and uh, the good guys um, mech warrior falls onto the bleachers and kills 300 people. And he's having fevered nightmares about it. Seeing the corpses and his nightmares. I'm like, this is a PG rated film. This guy almost directed honey. I shrunk the kid. That's true, man. Um, if you're gonna watch a, a movie, directed the honey, I blew up the kids. Uh huh. That's what this is. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say, if you're gonna watch a Stuart Gordon movie set in the future, go watch Fortress. It's way better. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, uh, Three Men and a Little Lady. 
was released. Kept talking about uh, Nancy Travis all year. Yeah. Uh, again, not, not used properly in this movie either. Um, I actually really like the original. I think it's pretty charming, but this one's just kind of a cash grab. Mm. It doesn't have nearly like an ounce of the uh, the wit of the first movie, which apparently they're remaking the first movie with Zac Efron for Disney+. Plus. Just yeah, got announced. Isn't he supposed to be the, the kid? The no. Baby, or is the baby a girl? I, I never saw it. Oh, you never saw it? It's an actual baby. <laughs> That's what you're worried about. Um, I know, it's, a, it's a girl, not a boy. So this sequel it's, can't it's be a, that it's, uh, Yeah, it's a girl. Okay. Because it's um, like a, the kid's grown up. That's what I would have done with a sequel. The sequel is that Nancy Travis is getting married, I believe. To one of them, I assume? No, I don't think she is. You know, it's been a long time. I don't know. I just remember not caring for this one very much. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Bridge came out. Again, a movie that kind of has evaporated from people's memories. Although it's one of the few... I don't know if they had worked together before. Joanne Woodward and uh, Paul Newman. Three times. This is, I think, the third or second. I don't know. I, I, okay, I it's a James... It's a James Ivory movie, and it's one of the least heralded ones, and I don't think it did particularly well. She got nominated for an Oscar, I saw, because I looked into that for our uh, poster boy, maybe, because I, I oh. Jeff wouldn't have heard of it, and I'm like, this is interesting, but eh. Yeah, and I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to describe it because I've never seen it. Basically, it's um, one of those um, early century dramas, and Mrs. Bridge is deluded into thinking that the times aren't changing and her kids, one of them played by Robert Sean Leonard, one of them played by Kira Sedgwick, are trying to convince her to like move past the 1800s. It's like 1910 or 20, maybe the 30s even. I, I don't remember exactly, but she's like stuck in the past and her kids are like, you gotta not be expecting the same thing anymore. We're all getting up there to, right. to like, the wars have happened and we got we gotta move on. <laughs> so and it takes okay. place in like the Midwest somewhere. I think Kansas City or St. Louis. So yeah, I think it's Kansas City. I think you're right. Yeah. So, so good thing I looked at the Wikipedia article. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say I only saw the synopsis. I didn't. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, garnering Oscars, Misery came out mm -hmm. and uh, got Kathy Bates a uh, well-earned Oscar. I just thought, uh, honestly, this is a movie I had the reverse reaction on, which I used to like it. Now I think. Her performance is a little too over the top and campy. Really? And it really takes me out of the movie. Mm. I've never Honestly, seen this stuff. would be a good movie for to remake, I think. Well, they did in uh, season two of Castle Rock with uh, Lizzie Kaplan. Right. She plays Honestly, this was... I've heard it's good. I, actually, Tristan kind of has a little history with this as a stage play because he got to see <laughs> one of the actors at a bar after the revival of the uh, stage play, right? That was that was with Jeff. Jeff and I went yes. to see the, the play Blackbird with uh, Michelle Williams and Jeff Daniels. And then we decided to just go out to, what was it, Sardi's? Yeah, we went to Sardi's. Like, ourselves. Because it was, it was Jen's birthday. And then yeah. so we <laughs> wandered over and then we were like just sitting there. And then this short, bald dude in a plaid shirt walks by. And Tristan and I look at each other and we're like, is that is that Bruce Willis? And then a couple of minutes later, we saw. Um, oh my God, I can't remember her name. What's her name? The one from Married with Children. 
Or not Mary, Roseanne. Oh, no, you're talking about Roseanne. Sister Jackie. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know who that was. But anyway, yeah, we, we saw her and I'm like, oh, Lori, Lori Metcalf. Um, so we saw Lori Metcalf and I'm like, did we just crash the misery cast party? <laughs> so, yeah, the three of us accidentally crashed the misery cast party. It was great. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> I heard the show was terrible, though. Really? I actually heard he he seemed invested for once in his yeah, that's, well, he also he past that, 10 years. He was in that one Woody Allen movie that he was supposed to do that Steve no, he got cut out. Yeah, well, he got cut out because rumor was he was like not learning his lines on set, but it was because he was about to go to misery. He was learning those lines. Is that that's why though? That's what he said in the interview. He's like, I'm when, doing a play. I had time, I had capacity for one thing. Then on, on misery. That's what I remember was- reading. I heard that on Misery he had an earpiece the whole time too. Yeah, he wasn't even able to memorize those lines. No, it didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's just like he's at that point in his career where he's like, I don't really need to do this. I'm just kind of, I'm <laughs> I'm a golden ticket right now, so oh, he can like. Is he a golden ticket though? Pulling around that bar. Is he a golden ticket though? Because every time I see him in something, I immediately get disinterested. Disinterested. Well, he thinks he's. No, he's not going to care. You know. <laughs> Um, he's gonna, the, the, he's gonna beat me up. The last movie I'll talk about before we get the poster boy is uh, the Nutcracker Prince. Is anybody has anybody seen this? No, I have. I watched it in preparation for this. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, it takes the music from the Nutcracker and uh, tries to incorporate it into this animated movie, which actually the Nutcracker is voiced by uh, Kiefer Sutherland. What, third um, or fourth film he did this year? Yeah, he's been a lot this year. Yeah, him and Nancy Travis. Young Guns too, and then some other things. But uh, Dennis Hopper. Speaking of, Jimmy would hate this from an animation standpoint because they take, um, they take these very stagnant, colorless backgrounds, and have the characters run through the foreground, and a lot of them are so poorly detailed. It would drive you nuts. It looks like a, a rough draft of mm-hmm. what they were trying to do. It's so cheap looking. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I don't even know how this did in theaters, but I, I can imagine it got buried by a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's one of the worst anime movies. Anime movies. I don't, I don't remember it. So like, funny. This is one of those also rands <laughs> that came out in theaters. Yeah. Funny, funny you bring up this at the end. I did sort of want to mention about Rescuers Down Under. That was the one last thing. This is one of the few that doesn't have music, like songs and dances and everything, like you were talking about when they were oh. you know, full bodies. No music. No, no music. There, were there music yeah. numbers in the original Rescuers? No, I think that's one of the few other ones as well, which is probably why they don't have it in this. But that's another reason that I think it doesn't do as well as the other Renaissance films because Little yeah. Mermaid blows it out of the water with uh, whatever the the. I guess I guess you can't do synergistic advertising with like soundtracks and stuff like yeah. that. Then you also got to take into consideration like <laughs> this was the one film that like you didn't have like a prince or a princess mm-hmm. or you know another part of the formula. Yeah. for success at disney right uh, yeah like who wanted to like, buy toys of mice yeah like you, you, you <laughs> i don't know you can't have an everyday you can't have an everyday kid out in the sticks be a relatable character they gotta be somebody that's gonna elevate to you know uh 
royalty or is royalty right right well that also might be why they chose to do that one because if they're doing a direct sequel to a movie that doesn't have any songs they don't and have they're to testing out this new technology let's do the fairly easy one first before we start worrying about animating all these enormous uh song and dance sequences yeah anyway sorry for the sidebar back to the oh, sorry. <laughs> uh i just thought of it because you were mentioning music in the nutcracker prince so uh so yeah ready to try and guess this last poster boy or it's not the last there's one more month but the last film of november 1990 uh i just watched this movie so i could talk about it it was not a great selection this month so this this may be a little easier than normal I don't know if you can immediately tell who that is. I tried to run that chin everywhere. You're like a psycho. You yeah. told me to do it. Oh, all right. I am not the voice in your head, man. You're gonna get theme music I, 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 but all right. So to describe the poster. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. All right. This yeah. it, I'm it's glad he said that. It looks that's gonna like, tie into the synopsis. What are you what are you doing? <laughs> Not really. Something you... that came out of one of those, you know, those those coffee table art books that you, you know, <laughs> are just kind of sitting on the table in the school library, and you're like, I'm gonna look through this and see what this is this abstract photo with uh that's clearly Prince. <laughs> Yeah, good job. It's hard to obscure that. Like his his yeah, eyes yeah. are pointed out and everything, but I'd recognize I was about the entire face. But I would um, recognize that five o'clock shadow anywhere. Oh, I yeah. even I even tried to get rid of some of the stubble. It's actually a little there, smudged. So he's on the left side. There's some creepy woman peeking in on the upper right hand corner. There's a an upside down idle hand uh, with the earth in the middle of it. There, what looks like uh i can't tell if that's like desert cliffs or or it is, yeah. the, the shroud of turin or something uh, <laughs> um then there's some flowers in the bottom and another dude with a flat top haircut and a yellow and black zoot suit do you know that and an angel be? there's an angel in the back there almost oh, looks like tinkerbell to me yeah. i forget their names but they're they're two of his regular uh collaborators yeah this this looks like something that someone made in my surrealist class in college <laughs> um where have you ever heard of this movie i i have no idea yes. so that's i wasn't sure this is your test for your friendship with mike because he would talk about all the prince movies well i know it's not purple rain yeah uh let me give you the uh tagline okay let's see if it can actually well, yeah there we go. Well, do we, okay. Music is power. Love is the message. Truth is the answer. What do you, I, I don't know if you even want to guess what happens in the film. Because I mean, I'm just going to guess. It's impossible to guess based on this. Realist itself. Like it's, it's, there's going to be some heavily, heavy religious overtones. Huh. Um, He's right about that. And, you know, there's, there's some sort of like, you know, Prince's, if not Jesus, there's some sort of allegory going on because you know the in the poster, the Earth is right in the center of his palm. Like a know, stigmata, stigmata thing. Um, 
I oh look at that oh thank you for unblurring those beautiful brown eyes I also um, tried to get rid of the earring which is his symbol yeah oh yeah yeah that's it didn't matter no um, uh, what would you call this Prince film hang on music is power and loves the message all through the end. let's go <laughs> give you anything I'm gonna I'm gonna try to come up with something uh, oh boy journey into oblivion I don't know um it makes more sense than that prince oh that's the yeah guess what's the movie the titles on the bottom right okay um i don't i don't know like it's tough for me to try to guess titles but i'm gonna say i don't know it's like into something it does that's what it feels like it feels like one of those like into the unknown type mm-hmm. movies that's fine. I'll put him out of his misery. I mean, this just... is so nonsense. Yeah, this, this was our best choice, by the way. Okay. All right. Graffiti oh, Bridge. Shit, that's the poster for Graffiti Bridge. Thank you. I Have you seen this? Things. No. Oh. I haven't seen any of the Prince movies. But I'm oh. surprised you didn't think like we would be told about this all the time. Purple Rain and then Graffiti Bridge. Look, I'm going to be honest. I totally, other than those two i also also got um graffiti under the cherry bridge. moon i got graffiti bridge confused with american graffiti in my mind <laughs> okay don't get, totally don't confuse movie. them please yeah. yeah um but yeah you don't have to do the normal thing where you guess what happens i cory might as well just tell us okay yeah um so you haven't seen purple rain so this might not track um <laughs> Uh, this is I, a uh, this is a pseudo sequel set in an alternate universe. Oh God! He plays he still plays the kid, and the other guy at the bottom of that poster is Moore's Day. That's his name. Thank you. Of the um, they're playing rivals again, but they own uh, nightclubs, so they make a contest on who could write the better song, can keep their club open. Okay. Like I said, setting an alternate reality that's almost kind of like a cross between like <laughs> romper room and a speakeasy and set mostly, it's mostly like concert footage of stage performances. Yeah. There's not really much of a plot. Prince also directed this mm. and as Jeff said, there's religious overtones of Prince as Jesus. There's one part where he uh, crowd surfs with his arms spread out while a choir sings. And uh, a digital billboard says there will there will only be one ruler. I'll so. give you a quarter of a point, Jeff. <clears throat> so, yeah. It's, that, you Wait, were is those lines where points? Well, no, they matter. I'm giving him oh. a grade at the end of the season. Oh. Yeah. Um, tell I tell me. him 11 months in. <laughs> Prince is not a good director. Mm -hmm. uh, Moore's Day might be the least lethal uh, mafia head that I've ever seen. There's a there's a part where to show how much machismo he has, he eats like a hot chili pepper, and then he gets one of his underlings to do it, and he runs out of the room and he laughs at him. Also, he's got a very between him and Prince, they're very what's the what's the nicest way I can say this androgynous and feminine they're feminine 
So the fact that they're playing these really macho characters is hilarious unintentionally. And this isn't played for laughs. Mm-hmm. He's taking this deadly serious. Oh, yeah. uh, the movie's like awful. Purple, Purple Rain's a masterpiece. This mm-hmm. is Drek. I haven't seen Under the Cherry Moon, but I heard that's also pretty bad. I thought Mike would always tell us one of them was good, one of the other two. And I thought it was this one. But I'll have to ask him. Again, I also I'm not a huge fan of Prince's music, so that might be a point against it. I don't know, man. I like the music in Purple Rain. Yeah. Those songs are at least memorable. I can't remember any of the songs in this. Mm-hmm. Mm. I will. Nope. So that's our uh, that's our uh, stuff for November. Uh, before we go, I had uh, an idea that given that it's Disney, we may not get another chance to talk about Disney animated films again. Uh, why don't we give our... I don't know if you're as big of a fan as I am, but maybe you have a top three Disney animated films like I do. Oh, animated. Um... Yeah, animated specific. So I, you can't do Mary Poppins or... Uh, yeah, no, no, no live action. No, I was no going to say Flubber. But, you know. Yeah, Flubber's good. What? Man. What? Yeah, what? Listen, what's don't from, judge me. <laughs> Flubber? Flubber's great. Or the absent-minded professor. Yeah. Anyway, but, right, um, animated. Let's I'll see. start us off so you guys have a little bit to think okay. uh, about what you would do. Uh, my favorite of all time is 101 Dalmatians. Uh, just simply incredible. Um, you love the the thing that got me was the fir- very first sequence where Pongo's looking out the window and he sees all the dogs that look like their owners. I was just in love with the movie immediately. And then the meat where he and Perdita get to meet get the, their two humans to in, intertangle themselves. Um, then my second is Mulan, which has grown over time. Um, but just that I'll make a man out of you song has uh, clinches the film as one of the best sequences in any film, I'd say. Um, but I just love everything about it. And I know it's a little uh, touchy on the actual culture and the history and the... Um, what they're what they're doing there but um when i saw it it's 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 all nostalgia for me and in that same effect um just two years earlier was hunchback and notre dame so those two are my favorite of the uh renaissance era but mm. hunchback and notre dame i think is a little undersung compared to its neighbors it but the songs are just as good as aladdin uh the characters are just as dynamic clopin the jester that introduces you to everything some of the best work of a voice actor and singer I've ever seen. Yeah, one of so, the best uh, villains. Yeah, with a uh, Frollo. Yeah, best yeah. villain song I'd say. Yeah, uh, Hellfire yeah, almost the got them list. banned. <laughs> so, anyway, anyone else want to take what they? I can give you my top three. Okay. Um, number one would be Lady in the Tramp. Uh, yeah, this might sound odd, but I think it's a. Uh, one of the most swooningly romantic movies ever. Well, that's not weird. Right? I mean, it's got probably one, maybe, if if not the most iconic uh, The Bella Note, uh, yeah. yeah. That's been uh, repeated in countless parodies, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hot Shots did it. Yeah. Yeah. Even the, the remake, that's the best scene. Right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um. Number two would probably be Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Uh, I think it's 
almost like a perfect adaptation of the Lewis Carroll book. I'll give you that. Right. I was under a separate influence when I saw that, and it scared the hell out of me. So, and uh, honestly, I think this is one of the more underrated movies, probably before the uh, Renaissance that you were talking about. Great Mouse Detective, I love. Oh. right before all the movies. What's that? I said, y'all keep stealing from my list. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, how about I, this I, for you? Great Mouse Detective and Hunchback are definitely. Yeah. You know, up there so wait, let wait. jeff go before somebody steals his own well no my yeah because I, I had it was gray mouse detective uh hunchback and toy story toy story it's, still, it's a disney movie also, yeah i'll uh, give you that it's pixar but it, it kind of well i didn't say so, not to include pixar yeah what's that I didn't say not to include Pixar. I, when Corey and I were discussing this, I was going to say just the regular Disney animated films, but okay. everyone includes Pixar anyway, so you're allowed to. Well, because you guys took two out of three of mine, I'll pick another one too. But you know, Toy Story still holds the record for like most times I've ever seen a single movie in the theater, wow. um, even oh, though wow. I was, you know, nine at the time or whatever. Um, How many times did you see it? Five. So five times in the theater. Which means I dragged my parents to see Toy Story five times. But it was a pleasure every time for it them. It was. Well, no, because my, you know, it was, it was, I remember my dad also being fascinated with it because of like the reflection technology and stuff. Like you see, when, when Buzz is looking through his reflection in the helmet, the first time you see from his POV, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> um, it's, it's incredible. Even, even though it's a little dated now, it's, it, it basically, horrible. Like, if if rescuers if rescuers kicked off the Disney Renaissance with the 2D stuff, then Toy Story was what kicked off the rest of it. Yeah. Um, you know the way that it advanced the technology. Um, and it's also a good movie. Uh, but we'll let Jimmy go, and then I'll figure out my one. So. My choices are uh, no no order. I can't really rank these. Uh, Fox and the Hound, mm-hmm. um, Robin Hood, mm-hmm. and um... oh, is there another Fox movie? Because yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, and then like um... yeah, that's right. He's got all foxes in this. Yeah, I'm gonna go with for last one. Uh... I'm kind of torn between The Lion King and The Jungle Book. Oh, I had a guess and I was yeah. wrong. I thought you were going to go with Atlantis. Oh, yeah, Lion King. Ah, oh, crap, you're right. Atlantis, that one. That one I got him. Knocked them out. Knocked them out. Atlantis. <laughs> so many good ones. I forgot yeah. Atlantis was yeah. a Disney film. I remember when I he and I watched forgot. it uh, a while ago now, but like he was way into it. Oh, so, yeah, no, I, I still love that movie. Yeah. I just forget it's Disney. I think uh, we'll do again. The oh, yeah. yeah. That was around the time that they the 2d thing was about that was the second death of disney and now we're in the second renaissance it's funny a lot a lot of the disney films that i i I like are the ones that like you forget are disney Mm -hmm. because they don't follow the typical disney yeah formula jungle book's a good choice too oh yeah no i I saw that a lot as a kid yeah Mm -hmm. pinocchio and fantasia oh yeah 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 pinocchio would be up there choices yeah I don't think I dislike a lot of them. I what would be your worst? My worst? Chicken yeah. Little, probably. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, Chicken Little is by far the worst. Apparently, there was a whole situation where they had a completely different film plan, and that film sounds better. So I can't blame them for what ended up coming out. I just I'm on the range. I heard is one of the worst. 
It's, it's better than I thought it would be. Yeah. Mm. It's not great, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. It's just kind of it's it's got a thin plot. Is the songs are good and nothing happens. Mm. Which one's home on the range? It's like the three cows um, oh, yeah. no, get I'm... loose from their farm. Right. Yeah. Is that Roseanne? I did not like so, that. And then well, I, I saw five minutes of it. I'm like, I'm Yeah, done. then there's a cowboy trying to wrestle them or something. <laughs> Such a dumb plot. His song's great. The cow's song is great. It's just not a good film. So, mm. but Chicken Little also doesn't have songs, and they try to shoehorn aliens into the Skyfall. It's, it's just um, horribly obnoxious and unfunny. Yeah. The original was going to have Chicken Little trying to relate to her father and what it means to be uh, growing up in the world, and she was scared of everything, and the father was going to coax her along, and then they change the genders and now Zach Braff is like scared of aliens and thinks uh, so it was going to be Holly Hunter before she did Incredibles so oh, wait wasn't Chicken Little based on like a the, Chicken the Little original, part? yeah yeah the so original like, story they were going to do like a Chicken Little story and now it's just like Chicken Little gets involved with aliens yeah but wasn't like the original Men in Black as an animated I think so. Yeah. So he actually, the, the writer of the original version of Chicken Little ended up changing it anyway, and then it changed back. So there was a lot of push and pull. There were, there was, um, I think that's when Eisner left. So there's a changing of the guard, and that's why there's like a, a downswing in that era of Disney anyway. But no direction. Yeah, no they didn't know what they wanted direction. to do. Yeah. Pixar was doing better, so that's a whole different. We could go on. I could go on about Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just doing anyway. a Super Disney episode. Did you have one more, Jeff? Or was that Pinocchio? No, that was going to be... I mean, the other thing was was Goofy. Oh, movie. yeah, the worst. Oh, worst. Yeah, no, worst. Yeah, worst is, I don't know. We're, we're, we're rambling at this point. Yeah, well. I don't know. The Good I'll Dinosaur. See. I've never seen it. But. Oh, yeah. I've heard that's not great. It's terrible. Um, right. I, I guess I'll take this opportunity as we wrap things up. Um next week when this final airs is, is around march 5th um i'll be releasing the winners of the edgar awards the 20th annual edgar awards and uh so if you haven't voted yet uh take this chance to to head into the uh, interjections page and see where we have the link to vote i'll try to add it into this podcast post if you want um but also thanks again for listening to us uh, ramble about disney and uh highlight one of the least heralded uh, of their renaissance era and uh, hopefully you enjoyed this as much as we did and are listening to this to to try and hear uh, equal opinions and uh, remember to rate subscribe uh, comment uh, we're on spotify and itunes we have our youtube channel so um, i don't know if there's anything else next month uh, we'll wrap up 1990 and we're going to take a look at a uh, the most famous politician to be enacted is he big? Is he bigger than Reagan? What do you say? He's physically bigger than Reagan, and he shouldn't Love. be a speaker, mm-hmm. but he's gonna be. It's kindergarten. Al Franken. Oh, we're doing kindergarten cop for December, so we'll we'll see you next time. Yeah. <laughs> Outro music. Yeah, do the James like. <laughs> 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 I don't want to give myself brain damage.
<laughs> yeah, I <remember. laughs>